0: Just over a month ago, the Shuri Network was launched at Digital Health Summer Schools and the response since has been enormous. The network is the first for black and minority ethnic women working in digital and IT roles in the NHS and aims to support women of all backgrounds to further their career in what has traditionally been a male-dominated field. Founded by Dr Shira Shock and Sarah Amani at Summer Schools in 2018, The network had attracted 60 members in its first year, but since its official launch in July, it has now grown to 445, with 700 new Twitter followers. I'm Andrea Downey, and I'm at NHS Expo in Manchester, catching up with some of the members of the Shuri Network. With me today is Dr. Shira Chok, founder of the Shuri Network, GP and medical director at Tower Hamlets GP Federation. Hello. Sarah Amani, also founder of the Shuri Network and senior program manager at the University of Oxford's Department of Psychiatry. Hello. Dr. Aisha Rahim, clinical information officer at Lancashire Care NHS Foundation Trust and also the deputy medical director there. Hello. And Professor Doan McDonald, executive director of Connected Health Cities and the former chair of the Digital Health CCIO Network. Hello. Thanks so much for joining me all today. I think it's safe to say that the launch of the network was one of the highlights of summer schools. Uh, Everyone was talking about it afterwards and the reaction on social media has been huge. Uh, Shira, it must feel really incredible to see how far the network has come since you founded it with Sarah. What's the last month been like for you?
1: Yes, it's been incredible, starting from the launch when we got 500 um, IT leaders across the country to do the Wakanda Forever Salute, (laughs) thanks to Sarah, which has to be a historical moment. Someone on Twitter described it as um, the first concert of the Sex Pistols, and this will go down in history as the equivalent in the IT world. (laughs) And we've had such a surge of support, and We've met so many inspiring people across the whole cross-section of the NHS, who've just given us so much positive energy. Sarah, how about you?
2: I'd echo everything that uh, Shira has said. I think, uh, for me, it's just been brilliant to see so many people who I wasn't aware of before, and one thing to keep in mind is I hadn't met Shira until we actually met in Leeds. Oh. So, and everybody kind of just came out of the woodworks in some ways after the Leeds launch event. So it's been incredible to find out that there's, there are all these people who are very interested in digital health and are ready to take on the task of
0: improving patient outcomes. Yeah. And Aisha and Jo, it must feel really incredible to be part of such a good network as well. Oh, do you know what? It's absolutely amazing because I guess until I
3: really connected with everybody, I... I don't think I really fully appreciated how much I missed having that network. And I, I was thinking about it the other day, and I can only describe it as a, almost like a softening in my heart. It's like, yeah, these people understand what it's like, and I, I didn't know I needed it until I got involved.
4: Did anybody else cry?
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to
3: tear my eyes. I
4: cried. Did you? I did. did you you I really did. I'm tearing up a little bit now, actually, oh, because oh, it was just you. such a moving moment, and it mm. was such a, such a moving set of presentations to hear a set of women of colour talking about their experiences mm. and I'd never, mm. I feel ashamed that i have never really thought about it enough mm. and, and I, I just felt very moved, mm. yeah. there you go, sorry about that oh, no. but I it was just, but it was amazing and it was yeah. absolutely amazing, I thought it was one of the, yeah. the best events i have ever been at and it was electrifying, you could yes. feel it in the room, yes. it was electrifying, yeah. so yeah I, I, had, I had a, yeah I had a little weep. I, I do have a little weep when things are very, very beautiful sometimes, you know? Yeah. You see something that's fabulous yes. and it's just too beautiful not to have a, a tiny tear. So well, that means a, a lot to me. A, a tiny tear. It really <laughs> but it was, it was yeah. beautiful.
3: Definitely to hear that from somebody of your prominence within the field of digital health I think is, is yeah. particularly meaningful, so you know, that's, well, that's well, thank
4: you, but uh, it was, I, I wasn't the only one, I looked around, I wasn't the only one who was feeling it, oh, but okay. uh, it was powerful stuff. Yeah. yeah.
0: It was, I don't think I've ever sat in a room where absolutely everyone's attention is focused. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was just, you could hear a pin drop every time yeah. anyone was quiet. It was just yeah. amazing to be a part of that. Um, yeah. Must have felt great sitting at the front and realizing that everyone was just so intrigued and you know, inspired by what you were saying. Yeah. At one point it felt like people had stopped breathing. People weren't moving. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: No,
4: it was, it was, it was incredible. It was, uh, it was a privilege uh, to be there actually, to hear what everybody had to say. Really, really great.
3: And I think just kind of seeing a panel full mm-hmm. of BAME women—I've never seen anything like yeah. it—and I think that's something that a lot of people picked up yeah. as well, didn't yeah. they? So yeah, yeah, that was just the kind of this striking mm-hmm. image of that. But, but that's the good. thing, yeah. though, because
4: yeah, you—I'm you, you, sort of triggered now because now I walk in a room and Jesus, look
2: at all these white guys. <laughs> Do you, well, Job done yeah. then? Come yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we've done for five people. Absolutely. Yeah. If we've it made you more observant of that yeah. trend, then that's, yeah, we've already achieved something. Yeah. Um, one, one thing it's worth also mentioning is that, um, aside from not meeting Sharon before, and indeed Aisha, none of us had met each other in person really mm-hmm. before, and we were thinking, should we have practiced something, or should we have mm-hmm. gone through what each one of us is going to say? And I, I think actually it was a good idea not to. Yeah. So we basically so we told our story straight from the yeah. heart, and there was no uh, practicing, no rehearsal,
1: mm-hmm. just wow. on them So the you hadn't shared
0: with each other what was going to be said. what the five
1: panel members were going to say. That's amazing. Because yeah, it was a gamble, but it, it was, was magic. No, it, it was magic. The chemistry yeah. just happened and it wasn't planned. So yeah. I just knew the topic and they told their stories and it was incredible.
0: Yeah. So this is obviously a really personal cause for you because uh, you know, at some point in your career you've all experienced some form of discrimination, whether that's intentional or not. How do you think your career and your experience of that has shaped what you're hoping to achieve with the network? Well, I think,
1: to be honest, discrimination gets worse the more senior you get, and that's why the need for a network increases, and we know that networks make a difference, and we can be members of different networks. Um, and i found from experience that being part of a network of people who support you, who get you who have your back covered has made the biggest difference in my career and people who champion what you stand for and share the same values. And that's what I'm trying to create with this network to offer this to other women of color.
2: I would agree. And I think what what it's made me do is be more um, aware of other women in similar positions. Uh, And some of them actually more junior um, and to kind of offer that support Mm -hmm. if they don't know that it's available because I do observe sometimes they accept things that are unacceptable because they don't feel that they can actually voice um, and um, challenge discrimination in the workplace. So that's something that's changed in my practice recently, I would say.
3: I guess for me, I'm going to maybe go against the grain a little bit here because I've been uh, lucky enough to be appointed to the positions I've been appointed to and I haven't felt obvious direct discrimination. But I think the bit that has had an impact on me is constantly second-guessing myself. You know, do I deserve to be here? And I think if I had the benefit of something like the Shuri Network at an early stage in my career, then one of the things that perhaps I would have done is to gone for the things that I didn't think I was entitled to go for. And so being able to be a mentor and somebody visible, just to say, look, this is something you can aspire to. I think this is my biggest thing I want to achieve. to actually, it's okay to apply for that job it's okay to aspire yeah. to this thing and that's that's my real takeaway
0: yeah and it must feel amazing to be able to sort of share that experience with younger women and help pull them up in their career when they might be second guessing themselves and thinking that they don't deserve to be where they are yeah and you know there, there are some sort of male female differences in the way
3: one might approach a uh person spec, for example, instead of focusing on all the gaps that you can see there, looking at actually, well, what are the things that you really excel at for this job application? So just having that conversation with people and saying, you don't have to meet 100% of the uh, requirements yeah. for a post that you apply for, I think would have saved me a lot of anxiety and angst
0: earlier on in my career. <laughs> yes. <laughs> jo, let's bring you in on this one. Why do you think it's so important that we're encouraging women of colour to further their careers in digital health?
4: I think um, one of the things that I've learned over the years, not least in in when we first set off to build the CCIO network, is just uh, how lonely it can be if you find yourself in a tiny group of people trying to do a very big thing in a very big place like the NHS and there's nobody to talk to. Uh, And I I remember how hard that was in the early days of getting into health IT uh, and I'm white. And middle-aged, and it was still hard. How hard it is when you're not white, and middle-aged, and male. Then uh, I can only, I can, I can't even imagine it to be honest. But uh, I do, I do remember feeling very alone at the outset of the CCIo network and thinking, Well, will this ever yeah. amount to anything? There's like four of yeah. us. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and uh, you know, I think it took us nearly two years to get where you've got in two months yeah. uh, in terms of membership so I'm just impressed to death to be honest
0: obviously the reaction to the network has been fantastic and it's great to see that there is so much support out there for it but on the flip side of that it's 2019 Like we know how important equality is we know how important diversity is should a network like this have even been necessary
1: well we know that 77% of the workforce are female in the LHS and about 1 in 5 are BME. In London, it's probably more than 1 in 2, to be honest, more than half the nursing workforce in London are BME. And yet, when you look at the number of CIOs and CCIOs who are women of colour, the number is 5. And I think that answers your question, Stuart. Is a network like this necessary? <laughs> Absolutely. But should it have been necessary? <laughs>
3: Yeah, I I was was just thinking about this uh, earlier in the day, I I would look forward to the day when something like this doesn't have to exist, but you know what, we're really not there yet, and it's not just in the digital health space as well, so if you look at the senior levels of the NHS, um, often trust boards do not reflect the communities that they serve, and and that doesn't feel acceptable Mm -hmm. in 2019, but as I said, we aren't there yet, so absolutely, networks like this have to exist, and, and other networks supporting other underrepresented groups, Um, But you have to be pragmatic at some point, don't you, and say, look, do you know what, at the moment this is the right time for something like this.
2: Sarah? I I think it
3: is necessary. So
2: the way that I met Shira was actually through um, a colleague of ours who was at the Digital Health Summer Schools with her. And I had been to uh, earlier Digital Health Summer Schools with Jo in 2012. And I remember looking around the 500 or so people in the room and finding myself the only woman of colour and there was Shira telling me that it was more or less the same eight or nine years later. Mm -hmm. So you have to then think if we keep doing the same thing then nothing changes. Mm -hmm. So the network for me is one vehicle that we're trying something different to see whether this makes a difference.
4: Well, I was saying from cognitive behaviour therapy if you always do what you've always done then you'll always get what you've always got. i'm ever so slightly ashamed that six years under my leadership before this network was created so um did it need to be created yeah absolutely should we have done it sooner uh, if, if, yes um but i'm just delighted that it has it has now happened uh, and uh, you know that uh, digital health have chosen to support it and give it some airtime uh, and uh, i might be late to the party but I'm gonna party
0: hard. <laughs> I, <went to> <laughs> um, I wanted to circle back to your earlier point, Shira about seventy-seven percent of the workforce being female. Um, I think, but only twenty percent of them are BME women, which is you know really small. And obviously, as you said, in London it's a bit more. Um, Aisha you're one of the CCIOs that are at the top levels. How does it feel to have sort of known you've broken through that glass ceiling and you've got to where you are? So I was having a think about this and the
3: phrase that comes to mind is imposter syndrome and there are, there are two levels to this actually. So f- for those uh, people that might not have um, uh, experienced it or heard of it, imposter syndrome is a feeling like you don't belong where you've got to and that you will be found out at some point and exposed as a fraud. And that feeling is not uh, specific to Bane women by any stretch of the imagination, anybody can experience that and you know partly it's personality dependent and uh, disposition dependent too so I I definitely have experienced I still experience that today what I've now found getting to a more senior level as as for example a deputy director and a CCIO I get this second layer of gosh well am I here because I'm a Bane woman so it never ends (laughs) I guess Uh, so that's (laughs) something that I, I still grapple with from time to time but I'm kind of making my peace with it because I am where I am and now I feel like I do have a bit of a responsibility to be visible to other BAME women that perhaps never even thought that they could even aspire to something mm-hmm. like this without trying to kind of blame my intro a bit too much. I think it is important, that visibility. People don't aspire to what they can't see. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's... I, I still get that sometimes, so that's my. I think
0: you're opinion. also allowed to blow your own trumpet a little bit. <laughs> um, Sarah, you've also previously been a CCIO. So how does it feel for you, knowing that um, you know this network is now available for women?
2: I I feel actually quite privileged because um, like like Joe, I kind of feel quite bad that we didn't think of this sooner. Um, but you know, sometimes things fall into place at just the right time and. I feel quite lucky to be part of this movement um, and I I feel grateful for people like Aisha and Shira kind of putting themselves out there because I don't think it's um, everybody's cup of tea actually to be this visible. Um, We we are going to find uh, critics and I hope they're critical friends because we won't get everything right but it does take somebody with a certain um, disposition to put yourself out there, be be visible,
0: be open to criticism and uh, try to improve as we go along. It must be quite a bit of sweet feeling when you know that other women have probably faced the same struggles as you have and not had this support until now
3: yeah it's weird isn't it because I was thinking about my mentors that I'd had in in my professional career and they've all been white men and it's (laughs) they've been really super supportive and you know partly the reason why I am where I am but by and large they've been white men and that's because that's who I've had around me to to guide me so by increasing that Diversity, increasing the visibility of a network like this, we can give people other views as well because actually there's absolutely stuff we can learn from people that are different to ourselves. Yeah. It's having that variety of experience that we can draw on. So I absolutely thank all the mentors that I've had in my life. They're partly why I am where I am. Yeah. But we need to have that diversity of experience because one of the other things that I'm really keen to get out there is the fact that. BAME women all have different experiences. I'm really Mm -hmm. super conscious that, in some ways, I have a lot of privilege within BAME women because I was born and brought up in this country, so I know the rules of the game. And actually, if you're grappling with Mm -hmm. coming from a different uh, culture in a different country, getting used to the NHS, which is different to the health system in your country, that's an additional barrier that I haven't had to deal with. So just really trying to understand what that specific person in front of you is experiencing, because it might be different Mm -hmm. to another BAME woman that you
1: know. Well, that diversity is actually, we should see it as an asset, because many of our patients weren't born in this country, and therefore we need to value people who bring a different perspective, a different set of experiences, because that may help them connect with patients in a way that somebody who was born and brought up here couldn't do. Um, I think it's also important to note that this network probably wouldn't have existed without white men, because it was a white man who introduced Sarah and I to each other. It was Doug um, Stewart. And we've had so much support from people who aren't BME women, like Joe, Matthew Gold, Simon Eccles, um, John Huxmer from Digital Health has been a tremendous champion. So we, we value our, the allies that we've had. They've played as an important role
0: in creating this, this magic of this jury network as the BME women in it. Digital Health News ran a poll last year um, focusing on diversity which revealed that only 30% of our readers thought that the NHS was doing enough to combat inequality. Is the NHS now doing enough and what else needs to be done if they're not? I mean, I guess
3: clearly that's people's lived experience, isn't it? And I've just uh, had a session that I've come from looking at individual personal stories of BME, male and female workers in the NHS and the things that they've grappled and, and struggled with. Partly I think it's about mainstreaming this conversation, just as you were saying at the start, Joe, it's made you think slightly differently oh, when yeah. you come into a conference, I think that's really important, and I, I remember I presented to a regional digital group that I'm part of not so long ago, and I was talking about the Shawnee Network and all the work that we're doing here, but I did wonder... Before I did the presentation, gosh, are people going to be switching off because they're not bane women? Mm. And actually, the response was the opposite. People were so interested. They came up to me afterwards, asked loads of questions, wanted to know how they could help. And it's, Mm. gosh, it was a really lovely experience to know that people are thinking about this even when they're not directly affected by it, because it is everybody's business. So, absolutely, getting that knowledge and understanding out there that you may have had A different experience within the NHS that's not true for everybody Uh, and for those underrepresented groups just even being aware that this is a thing I think is really important. Sarah?
0: Um,
2: Is the NHS doing enough? I I think we're we're starting to as as Joe and Aisha uh, mentioned just almost make this um, a regular conversation that's not taboo anymore. Um, I was reflecting on what uh, Michael West from King's Fund and Tracy Jolla from NHS Leadership Academy said yesterday that the traditional way of improving diversity has been to focus on those affected. So the burden has been on minorities mm-hmm. to change their own experience. So get get another qualification and people will treat you differently or behave in this manner or dress like this or change the way you speak on their accent and your experience will somehow improve. And now they're actually saying, it's not maybe the minority that we need to be focusing on, it's the majority who maybe need to uh, also go hand in hand in terms of learning certain behaviours that might put people off or make their experiences in the NHS less than uh, satisfactory. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Joe, you've obviously worked within the NHS for a little while. How have you seen it change?
4: Um, well, three decades I've got. I've got. <laughs> um, and... It's, it's been interesting. I, it hasn't changed nearly enough. But I, I think some of that is, is about what you said there, Sarah, about it's, some of this is on the majority. Um, and I don't think I fully got that until really quite recently, um, which is a bit embarrassing, because I thought of myself as a sort of right-on, left-wing um, you know, woke individual <laughs> <I don't>
3: know <laughs> with uh, you know,
4: and because I suppose because I, I'm a psychiatrist, I, I have had a number of a lot of colleagues actually from a lot of different mm-hmm. ethnic backgrounds, uh, and I'm, and I, and I, th- I I thought I was down with it, and I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't, and I didn't really get it until really quite recently that uh, uh, you know middle-aged white guys like me need to be, you know, hunting out what's wrong with all these white faces in this audience, what's wrong with all these white male faces on boards of directors, et cetera, because it was my wife, Fiona, who explained this to me, (laughs) you have to do this, you have to get on this, because otherwise it's just me, a woman, whinging on about women's rights and I'll be dismissed. You're an important person. You need to get on its case, and you need to be consistent about it, and you need to make sure that you make a point of it. And that's shameful. I had to be told, but I've yeah. been told, <laughs> and I've learned. Do you know what? We all have our blind spots, don't we?
3: Yeah,
4: yeah. yeah. But it's uh, it's you know it's it's been a journey. Are the NHS doing enough now? What
0: should they be doing?
4: Um, Listening to the Shuri Network. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, yeah, seriously, listening to the Shuri Network, um, getting that message out there, uh, and getting more white middle-aged guys woke.
3: <laughs> I think it can be misleading in medicine as well, can't it? Because there is, you know, a high proportion of Asian yeah, uh, yeah, people in medicine, yeah. and not so much the black <clears throat> community. Um, but it sort of levels off really dramatically when you go up to the senior levels. Yeah. And I could, that's, you know even harder for non-medical professionals where there is even more of a ceiling that people yeah. don't seem to get beyond. So I think there's something about a bottom-up approach but also a top-down approach with our, our boards as well and mm-hmm. sort of the sort of manual uh, and your mandatory equality and diversity training is um, not really up yes. to much in the NHS, oh, quite no. frankly. No, it's it's <laughs> yeah. There's a lot that could be done to build on that um, in a meaningful way rather than being a tick-box exercise. Although I
4: think I did that every year for 20 years. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, without it having the side effect. Well, that's yeah. Yeah. a
1: different point. Yeah. I suppose the two main messages are, I think we can all play a role in increasing diversity. You know, I don't just mean diversity by race, but a whole range of gender, disability, Hmm. social orientation, and it's never too late, so I only started thinking about this last year, and I've been in the NHS for over 20 years, so I share your guilt about, you know, should I have done more five or ten years ago? Probably. But it's never too late, and we can all make small steps towards having diversity by default, rather than everyone being shocked by an all BME female panel, yeah. which I think is probably the first time I've ever seen mm. a panel like that, but it should be the norm. Whereas at the moment the norm is an all white, often all male panel, that's what we're used to. Yes.
0: And obviously people of different backgrounds and different cultures bring a lot to the workforce as well, don't yeah. they? Like something yeah. you wouldn't have necessarily thought of before. Why, like, how important is it that employers are thinking about that when they're you know, hiring?
3: People employ people that look like them. So thinking about your panels,
0: for example, because we know that there's a,
3: a point in the recruitment process that BME people can't seem to get beyond in the same numbers yeah. as, as non-BME or the kind of the, the white population. So just really thinking about your recruitment from that perspective uh, and taking action, because as you were saying yesterday Sarah, it doesn't just make, it's not the, just the argument; it's a business sense of doing
2: that. Absolutely, so um, one of the questions when we set up the Shure Network was th- there's already a, a network for uh, female, uh, women in tech, why do we need another network for women of colour um, in health, digital health? And actually when you look at the evidence, it shows that in, um, improving diversity based on gender, so more women on boards, etc. Improves the productivity by about fifteen percent. When you improve both the gender and ethnicity of senior leadership, you improve productivity by thirty-five percent. So that's the business case for what we're doing. It's not just a nice moral, soft, fuzzy thing to do. It makes business sense economically, and um, yeah, so that's that's the argument
1: there. Yeah, yeah. And absolutely. To, sorry, sure. And that improves patient safety, mm-hmm. because we know that when staff are engaged in the NHS, we provide safer care, that when staff can connect with patients for whatever reason, it improves patient safety and patient experience. So it's not just a good, soft, fuzzy thing to do. It's at the core of what the NHS is set up to do, and that's why we all go to work every day.
3: There was a an anecdote from somebody at the digital health summer schools launch. who talked exactly about the safety aspect. As a clinician, can you recognise when somebody of colour is fainting or about to yeah. pass out with cyanosis, for example? Yeah. It's absolutely something that you wouldn't necessarily have thought about unless you're faced yeah, yeah. in that situation, and you can't recognise the signs. Yeah. So just that stuck with me since. Yeah.
4: yeah. The the other patient safety angle for me though is that is that all the sort of classic literature around when bad things happen there's a rigid hierarchy and somebody feels that they can't speak mm. uh, and when that happens in medicine uh, or healthcare uh, people die yeah. politeness kills yeah. you know, hierarchies can kill yeah. my, my my favorite um, my favorite disaster <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite disaster was an airline accident where there's a very very top down senior pilot Uh, And the two junior engineers were too frightened to tell him they were running out of gas. Mm. And they crashed because, you know, of the rigid nature of those relationships and the fact that there was a, yes sir, no sir, you're always right. Uh, And they killed 170 odd people because they were frightened to tell him that they were running out of gas. And that's a real issue in any organisation where you've got rigid hierarchies by, um, you know, by rank, race, by colour, by whatever, but properly diverse organisations should be, and I'm sure are safer uh, from that point of view.
0: Do you think the launch of the Shuri Network is going to be a turning point for diversity within the NHS? Certainly
1: hope so. Yeah. (laughs) Um, By the reaction we've had um, and the momentum since the launch, I would say yes, but Clearly, I'm biased, <laughs> but we have our first London network meeting in about uh, a month's time, and uh, we've already sold all our tickets. So there's a waitlist for that. Wow. Um, so it, it's been incredibly positive. Sarah, uh, I, I I hope so.
2: Um, I, I think it's it's taken a long time to even recognise that there's there's maybe a way to change things. I think it's going to take some time to actually make the change happen. So what what I'm Slightly fearful of is almost like a, a sizzling out, like a burst of interest and uh, a concern, and then that fizzled out into oh well, we've done that now. Let's move on to something else. So I, I hope it's a sustained interest from the leadership within the NHS.
3: Yeah, I guess I like, I would also hope that this marks a turning point. Doing it for the entire NHS is a big thing, but certainly digital yeah. health. Let's make that start there. But I would, I would also like us to give the impression to people that if you're, if you're not a BAME woman, you can still have that converse, conversation. It's okay to ask. It's okay to to have those conversations that, with the people that you're working with. Because I think sometimes there's a bit of a, a reluctance for fear of offending to not address the issue. Yeah. And I hope that we can be seen as an organisation to support allies having those
0: conversations <laughs> with, with people at work if, if they're trying to find a way of doing that in a sensitive way. Yeah. Um, So you've mentioned your network meeting in London, but other than that, what's next for the network? Well, I think
1: we will be much stronger and much more effective if we work with other organisations and other networks rather than trying to do this in a silo. So we've been contacted by One Health Tech, for example, um, the NHS Confederation, who just launched their um, diversity and inclusion strategy, I think, yesterday. So it's very much about making those connections and creating partnerships um, and that's something that we're really keen to explore and expand on. So we'll be talking at the HET Healthcare Excellence Through Technology in about three weeks time. Um, Heather Cordell and Dr Ijeoma Rizoto will be representing the Shire Network there. Um, and also uh, we'll be speaking at the One Health Tech um, London meeting in about two weeks time. So it's very much about creating a movement, um, because we can't do this alone. We have to work with our partners across the NHS and also outside the NHS. Uh, So we're actually hosting
2: a webinar in September for prospective applicants to the next uh, Digital Health Academy. And Aisha is uh, one of the uh, generous people who's offered to talk to anyone who's thinking of applying.
0: Well, it's been really inspiring talking to you guys today. Thank you so much for joining me, um, and I hope you enjoy the rest of Expo. Thank you very much. Thank you. you.